0: Our scripture passage today is Second Corinthians five, sixteen through twenty-one. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
1: So Father in heaven. We have a very simple. And yet very profound request. This morning. I pray. We pray that every person in this room would see the saving power of Jesus and believe. We pray that our love for this world would decrease. And that our love for you and the salvation that you have given us in Christ would increase. We pray that our love of sin, our love of pleasure, our love of comfort, our love of ease, our confidence in ourselves would decrease and that our dependence upon you and our longing to know your presence and your peace and your mercy and your grace and your compassion would increase. Lord, we pray that Redeemer Church would not be known for anything except this. Christ reigns there. Christ changes people there. Christ strengthens people there. Christ heals people there. Christ delivers people there. Lord, this is what we long for. Help us to long to see the name of Jesus lifted high and higher and higher and higher again. so that he would be honored he would be praised I pray this in Jesus name amen as you're being seated please take your bibles and turn to the book of second corinthians if you have not already So here at Redeemer, we have been, over the last few weeks, considering this idea of the foundation. Like, what is the very foundation of the church? What is the very foundation of Christianity? What is the very foundation of who we are as this particular church, Redeemer Church. And as we have noted, the foundation is the strength of the building. The foundation is what sustains the life of a building. The foundation, if right, provides strength and endurance, and if wrong, causes buildings to crumble and fall. And so... What we have been saying is, let us be on the right foundation. And the foundation is built by God through His saving Son and by His Holy Spirit. And so last week we said, okay, so if that's... Our goal is to be built on a foundation. What's the foundation look like? And so we said the first corner of our foundation was the glory of God. That the church, the world, me and you exist to praise and honor and lift high God's glory because of who he is and what he has done for us. But today we're going to consider the second corner of our foundation. And and that corner is in Christ, in Christ. And so what we are to say today is that the foundation of the world, the foundation of the church, the foundation of Christianity rests upon the hope that people in Christ are forgiven of their sin. People in Christ are changed from passing away to everlasting joy in the presence of God. People in Christ will walk in God's blessing. People in Christ will be used of God to glorify his name. Our only hope is To be in Christ. Like we could just say that and go home, I think. But this is it. This is the point today. Christianity, the Bible, and the church rest upon this fact. God saves sinners through Jesus. And really, the only question that matters is this. Are we, or am I, in Christ? Are we, or am I, in Christ? Because here's what the scripture says. That God, who made us, has been patient in our rebellion against Him. And when He looks down upon us, He either sees Jamie Mosley the sinner who deserves God's wrath, or He sees Jamie Mosley in Christ. And if He sees Jamie Mosley in Christ, then His attitude toward Jamie is changed. His disposition toward Jamie is changed. His commitments to Jamie are changed. The future of Jamie is changed. Everything is changed. Not because of what Jamie's done. Not because Jamie is good. Not because Jamie has earned anything. But because Jamie is in Christ. And so... What I want you to consider this morning is that this room is filled with a couple hundred people that are just as sinful, just as broken, just as rebellious against God as Jamie Mosley. And I want you to consider that what makes the church different from everyone else is not that we are better, we're not it's not that we've done more good things than bad things, because we probably have not. It's not that we're special or unique or have the right last name or the better DNA, because we do not. What stands, what causes the church to stand apart is that Christ has poured His love upon His people. And the invitation is to all y'all. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation today is to leave here in Christ. If you came through that door in Christ to leave here convinced anew that your hope is in Jesus. And if you came through that door, not in Christ, to leave here having everything forever changed. Because those who are in Christ stand in the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the eternal hope and the new life that Jesus died to bring for us. So what I want us to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that the most important reality in all the world is what Christ did for us us and it came at great cost to himself his very life all of it let's consider that together so that's like the sermon before the sermon so now i'm going to give you the long form of the sermon so let's look at this particular passage because by the way what we believe about preaching here at Redeemer is not that like I'm a smart guy, because we know that's not true, and it's not that I'm like this winsome communicator that people flock from miles away to listen to me speak, because we know that's not true. But what we believe about preaching is that God, through His Spirit, spoke a saving word to His creation, and that word is collected for us in the Bible. And so preaching. Is telling what the Bible says in a way that can be heard and understood. So if what I just told you is not scriptural, it's not in the Bible, then it's worthless. But if it is, we hang our lives upon it. So let's see, is this in the scripture? So what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, is what I believe we will spend all of eternity considering the depths of and trying to. To understand, I believe the key verse in this passage is verse 18. I'm gonna, all this is from God. So, what, so by the way, a man named Paul was led by the Spirit of God to write this book. So, what Paul is saying is that everything we're gonna talk about today is from God. So, The message of hope is that God initiated salvation. God initiated redeeming. God initiated people being invited to Christ. God initiated that. So it's all from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. This, friends, is, maybe you've heard the phrase, the gospel our hope, the future. This is it. God sent His Son Jesus into the world to reconcile us to Him. Now the word reconcile is huge there because reconcile means to take two parties who are at odds with one another and to make them right with one another. Right? Most counseling situations exist Because there are parties who are at odds with one another who need to be made right with one another. So reconciliation is there were two parties, in this case God and humanity, who were separated, who were at odds, and the problem was our rebellion against God. And what this passage says is God took the initiative Do you hear that? The offended one took the initiative to bring reconciliation and forgiveness and right relationship to those who were apart from him. So what this is saying is that without God's initiative, there would be no hope for me or for you to do anything except to receive God's just anger and wrath against our rebellion against him. But what this says is God initiated reconciliation. He initiated new relationship. And I believe that this is the main point of this passage. So my note taking friends, the first point, a new relationship. A new relationship. Now I have to say like these points probably don't mean a whole lot to you. Like you probably just write them down and and move on. But But one thing you should know about preachers is, like, we sit up at night, like, agonizing over, like, should I say, like, a new relationship? Or should I say a new position? Or should I say a new status? Or should I say a new identity? And you guys are like, just pick one, right? But we lose sleep over this stuff, okay? But all those would be true. But the reality is, what Paul is saying in this passage is that before Christ entered the world to save and redeem, before Christ entered the scene whereby God offered us salvation in Him, we were an old creation who was fleshly, who was dead in our sin, who deserved the wrath and the anger of God. But God sent His Son Jesus into the world to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation is a word that means those two parties brought together. And not only does Paul tell us that Jesus came to bring us reconciliation, but he tells us how Jesus did it. And this, my friends, is so beautiful. Look at verse 20. Paul says, the second half of verse 20, We implore you, On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul's saying to everybody who's listening, I want you to be reconciled to God. I don't want you to stand at odds with God because humanity always loses. I don't want you to stand on the the end of rebellion and wrath because humanity always loses. God always wins. But at his initiative, verse 21, for our sake... I'm going to take some pronouns, he and him, and I'm going to put words on them. For our sake, God made Jesus, who had never sinned, to be sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you write in your Bible, highlight, underline, bracket things, verse 21, it deserves like full attention. Like, turn on all the lights, let it glow. It's huge. Here's what's being said. For our sake, so that we might be reconciled to God, God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. And what Jesus did, and when I say Jesus, many of you think, Oh, he died on the cross, he rose three days later. We think about three days of his life. We need to think about the whole 30 plus years. What Jesus did as God left glory, which we talked about last week, and took on flesh. So get this, you've been told your whole life you're special and you're unique and the whole world will be blessed to be like you, right? But you know what the Bible says? Jesus had to empty himself of all of his glory and blessing to be like us. which That's quite a leveling statement, isn't it? That's Philippians 2, if you want to go look that up. But God sent Jesus into the world. He took on flesh. He was born of a virgin in a manger in a town named Bethlehem. And what Jesus did for 30 plus years was in every word, every thought, every deed, and every action, he glorified God. That's what Paul means when he says, made him who knew no sin. What Paul is saying is that at every breath of his life, Jesus never once rebelled against his father. He never once tried to steal the glory of the Father. He never once chose his temporal pleasure over God's eternal glory. He never once said, there's got to be a better way and I'm going to go and make it for myself. In every breath, Jesus glorified God. Now look, I don't want to bring us too low here, but we can't make it through the next... 60 seconds without failing to steal God's glory in some way in thought, word, or deed. And this is the place where we put on our best. We take showers, we shave, we get dressed up, we groom ourselves, we try to put on a show of how great and together we are because that's what Southern Americans do when we go to church. And even in that place, we can't make it more than 60 seconds without choosing Our glory over God's, our way over God's, our pleasure over honoring God. We can't do it, and Jesus did it every breath for over 30 years. The Bible through and through says, He knew no sin. He knew no sin. So, at the end of a life of moral perfection, Jesus deserves... If, it's, if this is about deserving, Jesus deserves what? Honor, exaltation, praise. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Y'all go be like him, right? But instead, what Jesus did was he took that life which was without flaw, without error, without sin, without rebellion. There's a Bible word for that. It's called righteous. Righteous. He took that life which was completely righteous and he offered it as a sacrifice for the unrighteousness, for the sin and the failures of others. So what happened on the cross was that Jesus took the anger and the wrath of God towards sin upon himself and he bore every ounce of it. Every ounce of it. That's why on the cross, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, God the Father poured His anger towards sin upon His Son, who deserved none of it, because the Son was taking our sin. So what Jesus, what we're being told here, He who knew no sin, was made sin. What we're being told is that Jesus died not because He deserved to die, but because we deserve to die. Jesus died not because He had committed sin, but because we had. Jesus took the wrath of God because we had sinned. Not only that, but we're told, that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So the other side of the coin is that Jesus then, as he rose again, gave us his perfect life. He gave us his perfect life. So last week, we sang the song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. And Augustus Toplady, who wrote that song, said, Be of sin the double cure, saved from wrath. And made me pure? What top lady's saying is that on the cross, Jesus was given our sin and he died, and then he gave to us his perfect life. So get this, friends. What 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21 is saying is that if you are in Christ, when God looks upon you, he sees the perfect life holy, righteous life of Jesus and accepts you and loves you and blesses you and lo- cares for you and walks with you as if you were Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel. My life was spent rebelling against God and Christ lived and Christ died so that I could be seen by God not as a rebel, but as a perfect, beloved son or daughter of God. That is the good news. And what Paul is saying is that we are offered in Christ a new relationship with God. That, that's the corner of the foundation that we want to build upon. many of you are like, yeah, dude, I know that. And that betrays how much we've forgotten, how short our lives are, and how much our relationship with God really matters. So I had a very humbling thing happen to me this week. My my good friend, Matt McCullough, who's like five years younger than me, um, his new book that got published arrived on my desk. And that's a really humbling thing, you know, like, huh, I'm going to read his book. I don't have a book. You're not resonating with that. Never mind, we'll just move on. But it's a very humbling thing. So I read his book kind of out of obligation. But after two chapters, I thought, this is amazing. The book is entitled Remember Death, and the cover is all black. And this is what he says. He says that we today in America are in the safest, the healthiest, and the longest living culture for human life, culture in the history of the world. Which means that we are inoculated from remembering the most fundamental truth about every human, which is We all will die. And the further we get from the reality that we all will die, the less good news it is that God's Son has changed our eternal status. Because eternity only makes sense when this life is passing away. If you like that point i can give you 130 something pages on it but that's the point the gospel of jesus doesn't feel relevant to us because our death doesn't feel relevant to us the gospel of jesus doesn't feel relevant to us because the fact that we can't control our eternity doesn't feel relevant to us The gospel of Jesus doesn't feel relevant to us because the fact that we are not in control of this world and where it's going and what happens to us now and forever is not before us. And the greatest thing that we could recover is a sense that we too will die. We too will stand before God. And what God... God sees when God looks upon us is the most important reality ever. And what we're being told in this passage is that Christ came so that in Him, God would look upon me and see Jesus. And that is the most fundamental and the most important question that we all must wrestle with. When God looks upon me, who does he see? My rebellion, my works, my wages, my status, or Christ? The gospel is all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who say, this is how it can happen. Remember I said some of you came in these doors today, not in Christ, and I want you to leave in Christ this is how it can happen. The Bible says, if we confess that we are sinners, meaning if we confess that if God looks upon me and sees me, that's my greatest problem. And if we confess that Jesus indeed is the Lord, meaning that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, so that I could have new life in His name, the Bible says, That we become the children of God. And the Bible says that when God looks upon us, He sees Christ. And the Bible says that there is nothing that we could do, nothing on earth, under heaven, or under the earth, that could change how God sees His children, because Christ died for them, and Christ rose again for them, and Christ pleads for them, and Christ works for them. The most fundamental question before us all, when God looks upon us, what does He do? See, if he sees Christ, then there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is new creation, there is new life, there is everything that we could ever need. So today, I'm asking, if you're unsure how you might answer that question, when God looks upon me, what does he see? Will you Confess and believe on the name of Jesus and receive eternal life in His name. In another place, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul wrote it this way. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now you come to the end of that verse and you say, oh no, right? Verse 11, and such were some of you. I would say such were all of you. But, but, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do You hear what he's saying there? In Christ we are washed. In Christ, we are set apart. In Christ, our position has changed, our status has changed, and our relationship has changed. Jesus came to offer us this new relationship with God through Him. This is the most important question about us. This is the question I want you leaving here wrestling with today, so much so that I'm going to skip the rest of my sermon. And I'm not joking. So Christian, you came in the doors this morning professing with your lips that Jesus is the Lord. Do you believe that if you are in Christ, God's love rests upon you forever, no matter what? Do you believe that? Or are you still trying to to weigh the balance with how much good you do and how much bad you do. Believing that if you do more good, God's nicer to you. And if you do more bad, God's against you. And just hoping at the end of the line that the, that the balance works out. That's not Christianity at all. Christianity is that the entire scale is in the bad category. And Jesus dropped an eternal weight that cannot be shifted on the other side. And if you're in Christ, you're forever in Christ. The good comes from Jesus. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it in such a way that you're free to worship. Believe it in such a way that you're free to not fear God's wrath. Believe it in such a way that when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, you don't wonder if you're going to die and go to hell because you know if you die, you'll see the face of Jesus and you'll be with him forever. Believe the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. Because my next two points that I promised not to preach, because I'm going to preach them next week, was that in Christ we have a new life, and that in Christ we have a new mission. But the new life and the new mission is not to earn God's love, it's because of God's love. The new life and the new mission is not to earn God's approval. It's because you have God's approval. The new life and the new mission is not to get you out of time out with God or to get you out of God's doghouse because God doesn't have a doghouse if you're in Christ. That's the good news. And so Christians, the reason we take the Lord's Supper every week is not because it's a cool thing to do. Not because all the hip churches with skinny jeans are doing it. Marshall's going to be starting one of those over here in East Nashville. Y'all can be a part of it. (laughs) About five months from now, right, Marshall? Okay, all right. The reason we take the Lord's Supper every week is because that piece of bread and that cup are intended to say it's because of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that I come into the presence of God. It's because of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that we're gathered in his name today. It's because of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that there's any hope for me. And it's because of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that when Jesus looks upon me, he, excuse me, when God the Father looks down upon me, he sees his righteous Son and he blesses me as such. It's all because of Christ. And so we take the bread and then we take the cup to repeatedly strip ourselves of any hope in us and to build up our hope in Christ. Now, I know that this is the South, and in the South, We are filled with cultural Christians, which means this. People who grew up in the church, who go to church because it's kind of like the good, right thing to do. You know, at some point your kids get old enough that you want them to know the same kind of cultural deity that you knew. So let's start going to church. So hear me clearly. It doesn't matter if you go to church or not. It matters if you're in Christ. Going to church flows out of the love of God in Christ. It doesn't matter if you change your habits or not. It matters if you're in Christ because all habit changing flows out of being in Christ. It doesn't matter if you did more good or more bad. What your scales weighed up to this week, what matters is if you are in Christ. So here's my plea this morning. Perhaps for the first time, God's making the gospel clear to you, which means this. To make the gospel clear to you, God has to first wreck you and then pick you up. And the way God wrecks you is with this declaration. Your scales are always in the negative because everything that you've ever done, thought, or said has been tainted with self-glorification. Your scale is a million infinity, infinity to infinity to zero. But... I know math people, those numbers don't exist. I'm trying to help the non-math people, okay? I could have been more precise and just said infinity to zero, but that wouldn't have been as good as a million infinity upon infinity, okay? Your scale is all there, but Jesus gave infinitely more righteousness for you. And if for the first time today you would come to the end of yourself, And confess, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that God made me. I know that I've rebelled against him, but I want to be different. I want to be changed, and I want to do it by believing in Jesus. If you'll come to that point, and then you'll confess, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Jesus, I believe that what happened on a cross on Calvary some 2,000 years ago was the answer to my life burdens, and my life struggles, and my life dilemma, and ultimately my eternal dilemma. Jesus, will you save me? Jesus, will you forgive me? Jesus, will you make all things new? and me, God will do it. And forever the scales will be stacked in your favor because of who Jesus is. Now, I talked about the Lord's Supper. Now I want to talk about the other habitual practice of the church, baptism. The reason we celebrate baptism is to say, I know what I was and I know what Jesus has made me. I want the world to know too. So if, if, if you're in Christ, if you've confessed and believed and you receive and you don't know what to do next, what you do next is you go public with what Christ has done. And he gave us baptism for that purpose. So that was point one. Who wants to stay around for the next two? Look, I don't even want to and I'm the one talking, okay? Okay. But those of you who are schooled in the scripture and you say, but pastor, you didn't exposit the totality of the text. I meant to. But for you guys, here it is. Second point, a new life. Verse 17, the old is gone, the new has come. If we're in Christ, we're fundamentally different. We'll talk about that next week. Third point, a new mission. If we're in Christ, God uses us. To bring his word and his ministry to others. We'll talk about that next week as we talk about in the spirit. Team, if you go ahead and come up. At this time, we're going to take the bread and the cup. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And this is the invitation. If you believe in Jesus for salvation, if you've confessed that, if you've professed that, if you've made that public, We invite you to renew yourself in the gospel by taking the bread and by taking the cup. If you're one of our friends who are here today who have not yet professed Christ, we would ask you to let the bread and the cup pass. Because here's the thing, nothing magical happens with the bread and nothing magical happens with the cup. It's not the bread and the cup that saves us, it's Jesus who saves us. And taking the bread and cup is simply saying, I am believing in Christ. So if you've never professed your faith in Christ, we would ask you to let the bread and the cup pass. Not to shame you, but so you would be led to consider this. Will I profess Jesus? We would invite you to do so today. I would love to talk to you about that today. Anyone who's on the stage, anyone who's holding a plate over here would love to have that conversation with you. So Father, would you teach us and speak to us now as we take this bread and cup?